Good morning. Uh, welcome to Redemption Church. If it's your first time here, we're really glad that you're here. Actually, we're glad that you're here no matter if it's your first time or however many times you've been here. Uh, today we're going to be uh, continuing in our series, The Psalms of Ascents. Uh, Songs for Everyday uh, Discipleship is what we've called it, and that's the Psalms, Psalm 120 through 134. It's a collection of songs that we've talked about as the pilgrims would sing them on their way up to Jerusalem. And uh, today's our last day in the series, it's Psalm 134, that's where we're going to be, so if you want to turn your Bibles there, you can. And I'm going to pray for us before we get started. Our Father, we just uh, come before you. Thankful for this day, thankful that you are who you are and that you do what you do and that you've called us together here to hear about your son, Jesus Christ, and to hear about who you really are and what you've really done and and how much you love us and how much you've gone out for us and how much you're for us. And Father, I pray that uh, during this time, your Holy Spirit would be at work in our hearts so that we would be able to begin to comprehend just how great your love really is for us. Father, I pray that as I speak, it would be your words, that we would hear what you'd have each one of us hear, so that our hearts would know you, that we would know the gospel, the good news of the personal work of Jesus Christ, and that we would know that you're with us, and that you'll never leave us or forsake us, and that you'd cause us to set our focus, set our sights, and set all our hearts, minds, soul, and strength on you alone. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Like I said, we're in Psalm 134. It's the last of the songs of ascents. And I'm just going to read this over us. It's a short psalm. I'm going to read this for us. It says, Come, bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord who stand by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. And may the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth. The word blessing is in here over and over and over again. It doesn't take long for us to get to see that that's a big part of this scripture. But what does scripture mean? This is the question we're going to be asking this morning is what does scripture mean when it says to bless God? Because that's the charge of this This passage, what does it mean when it says to bless God? And what does it mean when we are promised blessing? You know, throughout this series, as we as we've continued through these songs of ascent and as we continue to become a more gospel fluent uh, family and a gospel fluent people, I've really felt like as we've moved through all of these that God really wants to help us rightly define blessing. Because I think we have a tendency to define it for ourselves and not understand it as God means it. So just felt like we need to spend some time defining blessing. And then here in the end, it's all about blessing God and about God blessing us. And so let's spend some time with that. So we got to ask what it means to be blessed and then what it means even for us to bless others. And here, most of all, we see the call is to bless God. So the question is, how do you define blessing? How do we define blessing? What does a blessed life look like? What does it mean when we say things like, God bless America, right? Or God bless so-and-so, or God bless this food, or bless our time together, or bless our efforts. Those are like the kind of little catch things we say when we pray, right? God bless this food, bless our time together, together, bless our efforts, just bless this thing that we're doing, and just bless us, God. What does it mean to bless somebody else? 
Is it more than just something we say when somebody sneezes? Like, is it courtesy? Does it mean, like, giving them a gift? Is it a specific gift? What does it mean to bless others? And how on earth, this is the question I had to ask when I'm looking at the scripture, how on earth are we supposed to sufficiently bless God? Does our definition of blessing help us to do that? What's the psalmist getting at when he says to bless God? What can we give him that would bless him? Now, the Hebrew word used for bless throughout this uh, chapter, uh, chapter 134 in Psalms, is a, is a word, baraka. So the word for bless is baraka. And Eugene Peter, Peterson writes kind of at length on what this word means. So I'm just going to read this for us. He says, baraka, blessing. It describes what God does to us and among us. He enters into a covenant with us. He pours out his own life for us. He shares the goodness of his spirit, the vitality of his creation, the joys of redemption. He empties himself among us, and we get what he is. That is blessing. He says, God gets down on his knees among us, gets on our level and shares himself with us. He does not reside afar off and send us diplomatic messages. He kneels among us. That posture is characteristic of God. The discovery and realization of this is what defines what we know of God as good news. God shares himself generously and graciously. That's what Baraka means. That's what it means when it says that God blesses us, is that it means that he empties himself and that he shares himself graciously and generously with us, that he is with us. Blessing, Baraka, carries this idea of being totally with. Being totally with. Now, a couple of months ago, my family and I, we went on a road trip. I've already talked about it before, but we went on this road trip across the country. We traveled like over 5,000 miles in a rented Dodge caravan. And along the way, we went to two zoos. We went to the Magnolia Silos from HGTV. We climbed up into some big-time dinosaurs in California, that was pretty neat. I bought my kids stuffed animal from stuffed dinosaurs from inside the dinosaur. That's weird. Uh, we went to two different botanical gardens. One had a whole fairy village built through it. That was pretty neat. My kids love that. We ate, we ate beignets in New Orleans. We played on the beach in San Diego, and we walked on the canal in San Antonio. It was a trip of a lifetime. We had lots of great experiences. We did lots of things, and I gave my kids lots of great gifts. My wife and I gave them lots of great gifts. And what I wanted from that, what I wanted to do was to give them great experiences and give them great gifts, and I did. But I'm also well aware that the greatest gift, the greatest blessing that I gave my family was the blessing of my undivided presence. Those two weeks were great because I was there. Like there was nothing else taking me away. I was there. And there was nothing taking them away. They were there with me. Now, obviously, there was a few exceptions, right? There was a few times when we weren't totally with each other. There was a couple meltdowns. But for the most part, no one was ever in a hurry to get to the next place or do the next thing. It wasn't about the garden. It wasn't about the zoo. It wasn't about the dinosaurs. It was, we had a really good time being wherever we were just because we were with each other. That's the truth. Those things were all great, but it was all really because we were with one another. I was with them, they were with me, 
And that's what made the trip so excellent. That's what made it so memorable. I'll remember it forever because of that. And as a husband and as a father, the greatest blessing that my wife or that my kids can give me is to be with me when I'm with them. Their undivided presence is the greatest blessing that they could give me, the greatest gift they could give me, and vice versa. That's the greatest gift that I can give them, right? And I know we just kept going on and on about God being with us. Like, we've been talking about this since we went through Matthew. That was 15 weeks ago, at least, when we ended that, right? But we just kept talking about God being with us. But it's because I'm telling you, this is the greatest news. This is the good news of the Bible. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. God is with us. And God with us, that's everything. We tend to think of blessings as, God, give me this. Or God, give me that. Or so-and-so, give me this and give me that. Just somebody provide a thing that'll satisfy me, give me a thing that I think will give me joy, and I'll be blessed. We need to redefine what blessing is. We need to have a different understanding of what blessing is, just right off the bat. Let's see that God has blessed us beyond measure, not just in the things that he gives us, but in the fact that he is with us. And the call of this passage in Psalm 134 is to bless God. That is the greatest blessing that we can give him then is what? Is to be with God. He is with us. Are you with him or are we distracted? That's the question. God is with us. Are you with him or are we distracted? Like I said, I mean, what does it mean to bless but to empty ourselves to be with and to be present When we ask God to bless us, to bless this food, to bless our time together, to bless our efforts, to bless our thing, aren't we really just asking him to be with us? To be with our food? That's a weird request. Uh, To be with our efforts, to like be a part of that, to be with us in this room, like that's what we're asking, right? And when we seek to truly bless others, when we actually want to bless somebody else, What are we really doing? Aren't we really doing whatever we can to let them know that we are with them? Aren't we really doing whatever we can to show you them how much we value their presence? I think maybe that's why it's called a present. I know that sounds a little cheesy, but because any gift we give that doesn't communicate how much we value somebody's presence with us, it falls short, right? Like we actually, when we give a gift, if we're giving it from the heart, we want them to be touched. We want them to like... Feel the gift. We want them to know that this means we're with you. You're with us. We really value the fact that you're with me. I value you. I value that you're with me. And if it doesn't say that, the gift falls short, right? It's because the greatest gift, the greatest blessing is being with, is being present. So what does it mean to bless God but to empty ourselves and to be with him? And that's the call of this passage. It says to bless God What does it mean but to empty ourselves, to be with him? We remember these songs were sung by the pilgrims on their way to Jerusalem and on their way to be with God in Jerusalem, right? And most of the songs, as we've gone through them, they just seem to be like pleased to their soul, songs that they're singing to their own hearts, pleased to their heart to just believe that being with God is worth the trip, is worth the difficulty, is worth... Looking past the distraction, it's worth the journey to be with him. 
And the good news for us throughout all of these songs is that we can just come in and be with him. Here on the other side of the cross, we, are, we can just come in and be with him. As a matter of fact, more than that, he's with us always, even to the end of the age, Matthew twenty-eight twenty. So the good news for us is that he's with us always. And while the pilgrims who sang these psalms journeyed to be with God in Jerusalem and to worship together in Jerusalem and to worship in the temple, the good news for us is that Jesus came, Emmanuel, God is with us. And we are on this discipleship journey, not by ourselves, but with Christ and with the Holy Spirit indwelling us and traveling with us. The pilgrims sang these songs on their way to be with God, but we can sing these songs to remember during this time, this like night watch we talked about a couple weeks ago of an already not yet kingdom, that he's with us on the journey, that morning is coming, and that all things are being made nude. And we can sing this song, these songs, so that we don't become distracted. So we can be with him as he's with us, and we don't become distracted. He's worthy of our attention. That's the, that's the cry, that's the plea to the heart, is that God is worthy of our attention. He's worthy of our worship. He's the most valuable. He's for us. He's not against us. He's working all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. That's Romans 8.28. So my hope is that through these 15 songs, through these 15 psalms, Psalm 120 through 134, we're pointed to the gospel, number one, and that we're pointed to the gospel in a way that frees you and frees me, uh, first and foremost, to bless God by being with him and by being with him holy. That means that I hope these songs remind us of how much freedom that Christ has bought for us through his life, death, and resurrection and by the sending of his Holy Spirit. I want us to be reminded of how much freedom he's given us through Christ, through the gospel, through the good news that Jesus came, he lived, he died, he rose again, and he ascended to heaven, and he sent his spirit, and he's with us always. He's bought us a freedom from our own definitions of blessing, right? Because our own definitions of blessing, God give me this, God give me that, or so-and-so give me this, so-and-so give me, if I could just get the thing, then I would have the blessed life, or then I would be satisfied, or then I would have joy. They're lies. And what Christ has done has freed us from our own definitions of a blessed life, which would ultimately keep us captive to all other slave masters. So the question is, is what captivates your attention? What captivates What keeps your presence? What has your presence? Where's your mind? Where's your heart? Where's your thoughts during the week? What or who has your heart during the week? Who or what promises to deliver a blessed life if you can just attain it? Is it your smartphone? That could be mine. Could be a smartphone. What or who has your heart? What has your attention and your presence? What, do, what could deliver a blessed life? Is it money, kids, husband, wife, girlfriend, boyfriend, success, a career, a different position, status, 
material things, celebrity? Like if you could just get a platform, would you be fulfilled? Recognition from others? Those are all things that we would define for ourselves, left to ourselves. That's when we'll be blessed. But that's the wrong definition. God blesses us in being with us, and there's no greater blessing. Jesus, with his life, death, and resurrection, has bought us a freedom and given us a new definition of blessing, which is to know him and to be with him and to make him known. It's what we are created for. We are created to know God. We are created to make God known. And so in that is where we'll find ultimate joy and satisfaction. Do you know that he is with you? Are you with him or are you distracted? I think that's the call of all these psalms, of the whole collection of psalms together, is God is with you. You've got to remember, God is with you. Are you with him or are you going to get distracted? Even back to the beginning, like are you going to look up in the mountains? Are you going to look elsewhere? Where does your hope come from? It's in God. God is with you. I keep thinking back, as I was preparing this, I kept thinking back to Isaiah 6. Are you familiar with Isaiah 6? Isaiah sees the Lord seated on his throne, and there's angels all around him, and they're singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And Isaiah realizes he's in the presence of the Lord, and all of a sudden he knows who God really is because he's actually in his presence, right? And he sees him for who he really is, and then he sees himself for who he really is, and Isaiah falls on the ground like he's dead. And in Ezekiel 1, it happens too. Ezekiel sees the Lord in all his glory and sees him for who he really is, and Ezekiel falls down like he's dead. And in Revelation, when John sees Jesus in all his glory, in in chapter 1, he sees who he really is, and he knows his own condition, and he falls down like he's dead. Like everybody that sees God, they just fall down like they're dead. And I just keep thinking about those instances because in every case, they see the Lord for who he really is. They fall on their face like they're dead. And then the Lord picks them up like he touches them and he speaks with them. And he demonstrates in in different ways that he is with them. And then he invites them to be with him in his work. Right? They fall on their face before God because of who he really is and who they really are. And then the Lord touches them. He can't do that from a distance. And he speaks with them. And he invites them to come in with him and be a part of the work that he's doing. When we are really with him, present with the Lord, as in we're captivated by his actual presence, we will really know him. Because we'll see him and we'll, we'll get to know who he really is. He's not just some like ethereal thing, some ethereal God that like created things and like his hand off and he's distant. This is not who we worship. When we're captivated, captivated by his actual presence, we'll really know who he is. We'll know his real character. We'll see if we see him in all his power and all his goodness and all his mercy and grace and love and his perfect control. We will believe in him more than we've ever believed before. And we'd be willing to ask to see far more than we've ever believed was really possible as we're invited in to work with him. Because he's bigger than we think he is. Several years ago, I was 
really convicted by sort of a vision that God laid on my heart. It's not weird. It's nothing crazy, okay? Uh, it's not outlandish. It was just sort of a challenge that God laid on my heart. And he used the language that I understand. Like, he knows us really well. This is a side note, but God knows us really well because he's with us and he knows us and he made us. And he'll use language that we understand that we can connect to. And it's good news because he's with us and he knows us. And we don't have to have all the ins and outs and have all of our theology worked out for God to speak to us. If we'll sit with God, God will make himself known to us. You can look in Romans 1.20 or so to fact check that. But we'll move on. Anyways, I worked several types of construction jobs when I was in my 20s. And so God used this to help me. This is the language he used to help me. In my 20s, I worked several construction jobs, and every job meant time in a work truck, okay? I may have shared this before. I'm not sure. But every job meant time in a work truck with some other guys. It usually meant getting up pretty early in the morning, getting in a truck with two or three other guys in like a bench seat in the front of the truck. Uh, that was in the, the really early days. And then, uh, and then like heading out to the job, and we worked all over the CSRA, so we're like covering 13 or more counties. And so this meant an hour-long drive or so on many days. It always started kind of the same. We'd get in the truck... Maybe we'd stop at a Circle K and get some coffee or the Thirst Buster or whatever it's called. And uh, we'd kind of be tired and silent. But then as we'd kind of get going into the trip, we'd start having some sort of conversation somehow, some way. And we'd often end up talking about pretty deep things. Like I got to know these guys and like the deep things in their heart and like the issues that they were dealing with, the things that I was dealing with, they knew me. And then we'd arrive at the job and we wouldn't really want to get out of the truck, if we're honest. There was a bunch of, like, construction guys that were, like, you know, enjoying intimate time with each other. We was all guarded and lots of humor, but it was good. And often we'd end up arriving at the job, like I said, and we'd just hate getting out of the truck because we're having such a good time just being connected to one another. And God used this picture and that experience in a la- as a language to let me just in on something really good. It was really good news for me. Just showed me, I just realized I was working as if I had, like I had to get up and I had to get in the truck and I had to drive to the job and I had to build the house or build the ministry and build the church all by myself. And there was really, there's no joy in that. And it's too heavy of a load. And I didn't, I don't really want to do that. But it just laid this vision in my heart. It was like a dream. I could just see it so clearly. Just like a picture of this cold morning before dawn. And God was out in the truck at my house. I'm, don't, don't take it as weird, okay? I'm not trying to get weird on you. It's just a good picture that just spoke to me of God. But early morning before dawn, it's cold, and God's waiting in the truck outside my house. I could hear the rumble of the truck from the inside. And as I came out, I could see the exhaust pouring out of the, the muffler, out of the tailpipe. And as I opened the door and got in, I could feel the warmth of the heater as I entered the truck. And there was a cup of coffee waiting for me. And it was inviting and it was prepared. And I wasn't just getting up to go to work. I was getting up to get in that truck. And it struck me, first of all, that if I skipped the truck ride, 
That time with God, that's, that's the time with him, where we get to know him, or in prayer and in his word. If I skipped the truck, I'd miss knowing him. And the truck ride is the best part of the day. It's the thing we're called to. That's the abiding in him. That's the being with him. And secondly, I realized that he owns the company. It's his truck. It's his job. It's his work that we're going to and that he's invited me to help. And he's like a father letting a child help build a deck or something. And if I skip the truck ride, I'd end up on the wrong job or doing the wrong work altogether. And it wouldn't be lasting. It wouldn't be sustainable. It would have no impact. I'd be going about my work and not his. I'd be going about it without God, and I'd be missing being with God. See, without spending time to be with God, we try to bless God by going and doing his work without him. Because we think if we can work and do the thing for him and bless him by making his name known because he's not capable of making his name known, so we'll build a thing or build our platform and make the thing happen so God will be blessed and his name will be added to, then maybe we will receive the blessings that we want. But our definitions are messed up. We need to redefine blessing. The blessing, both our blessing, God, and his blessing to us is in our being with him and in his being with us. He is with you. Are you with him or are you distracted? It's a short, I'm trying to keep this short because we've got something else we're going to do, so I'm going to wrap up here shortly. But the call of these 15 songs in Psalm 120 through 134 is to repent. It's a call from Psalm 120, we saw it. It started with repentance, a turning from where we are, a turning from the, where, where, where we are and a turning from the ways of the world and turn from, from that, turn to be with him turning from the promises and blessings that the world says it's God for us and turning to be with him, which is our ultimate blessing, is that he's with us. And just as the pilgrims who left everything and made the hard journey to be with God and be with his people in worship, we're called to repent and to turn and be with God as he journeys with us. What's even more, though, is that this blessing hoped for in verse 3 Verse 3 of Psalm 134, this is how it ends. He said to bless the Lord, to lift your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. And then it says this, May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth. And this is the really, really good news for us. That has already come to fruition in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Emmanuel, God is with us. He has already given us this blessing. God is with us. Ephesians 1 says that we have every spiritual blessing. God came in the Christ child, Jesus, and he lived and he died and he was buried and he rose again and he sent his spirit to dwell in us so that he can be with us. And it's a promise. He'll be with us always, even to the end of the age. The Lord who made heaven and earth is with us. That blessing is fulfilled in and through the personal work of Jesus Christ. And in Philippians 2, 5 through 8, it just says this. I'll just read it for us. It says, just have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count it equality with God, did not account 
equality with God to be a thing grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He blessed us by emptying himself to be with us. And we've already received that blessing. He is with us. As we've said throughout this series, our faith has a tendency to operate as if while God is real, he's distant. Like he's hardly attached or concerned with our everyday lives and our everyday circumstances. But the cry of these psalms says different. It says that God is not distant. That God is with us. And that's news that changes everything. We've also said that we want us all to grow in our own ability to be fluent in the gospel. That's, our, that's a big goal for us, is we want us to be able to speak the gospel fluently. And so as we want everybody in his family to be able to understand how the gospel, the good news of the personal work of Jesus applies to the everyday stuff of life. So it's not just some ethereal thing, but it's like real and it matters in our here and now. Because God is with us here and now. So we want you to be able to preach it to to yourself and preach it to each other and teach it to others who don't know him. So that in every day and in every situation, we can know with surety that God is with us where we are and we can be with him. So I just want to end by answering the question, how does the good news matter in the everyday? How does Jesus Christ and what Jesus Christ did matter in the everyday? How does it matter every day that God is with us? He's not distant. And Jesus is the proof of that. And to become fluent in the gospel, you only really need to remember just a few questions that you can ask yourself and help you guide yourself back to the cross and see how it gets us to the everyday. And that is, one, is who is God? Who does he say he is? What does he do and how does, he, how does Jesus prove it? And who does that make you? And then how should you live? Who is God? What does he do and how does Christ prove it? Who does that make you? And how does that cause you to live? That's how you become gospel fluent. That's pretty easy questions to remind yourself and guide yourself back to Christ. If you tend to operate, I'm just going to give us a few. If you tend to operate from a place of fear, because you feel like God is distant, and you forget that God is with you, and so you find yourself afraid, the scripture tells us that he is not a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. God is glorious, and yet he has emptied himself to be with you, and Jesus has defeated death to be with you. You are his child. You're the child of a God who emptied himself to be with you and defeated death and rose again from a grave to be with you. What can you fear? This God is not against you. He's for you. He's more glorious than anybody else or anything else. You're his child. What do you have to fear? God is with you and you with him. So the question, if you tend to operate from a place of fear, is are you distracted by fear of others, by the fear of man, by the fear of the world? Or just to challenge you to hear and speak the gospel to yourself? Jesus has proven that God is with you. Jesus has overcome the world. You need not fear. Take comfort in him and turn, repent from the distraction of fear and be with your Father, be with God, be with Christ. If you tend to operate from a place of guilt, which a lot of us do, I do, the scripture also tells us that Jesus 
through his life, death, resurrection, that he's our justifier. Your identity and my identity is not found in who we were or what we've done, but in who Christ is and what he's done. And he's paid for your guilt, and he's paid for what you've done so he could be with you and so that you could be with him. You have no guilt. In Christ Jesus, your sin has been taken away, and God is with you like he was with Isaiah, who fell down as dead before the Lord because of his guilt. He lifts you up. You can stand before the Lord who's justified you. So the call is to turn to repent from futile distractions of trying to earn your righteousness. You can't do it. So turn from that and be with him. And lastly, if you tend to operate from a place of shame, if you tend to hide, Scripture tells us that God is not ashamed of you. So much so that he who sees everything no matter how much you try to hide, he's adopted you through Christ. He's made a way to adopt you as his own. He's not ashamed of you. He loves you. And he's come after you. He knew where you were and what you had done. And he came after you. And you are his child. You are an heir with Christ. You're an heir of the living God. You have no reason to be ashamed. You are not an outcast. You're wrapped in the love of Christ. Christ is with you. So turn from the distraction, repent from the distraction of shame, which has you trying to hide behind wealth or success or busyness or insecurity or whatever it may be, and be with God, be with Jesus. The charge from today's scripture, and really this whole series is just to bless God, to lay aside distractions and to worship him, and to be with him. And the truth is, it's just an invitation to be with the one who's already with us. To bless our Father by being with him, by being present with him, by abiding in him as he is already with us. Our ultimate joy, our ultimate satisfaction lies there. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're actually going to take a few minutes, and we're going to move in a different direction, and I'll, I'll talk about that in a second, but Before we move into a time of response, we'll do a couple things. But I'm just going to pray for us. Would you pray with me? Our Father, I just, uh, man, I thank you so much. We certainly aren't deserving. We certainly don't merit your being with us. you love us. You've loved us so much that you gave your only son for us as a way to be with us, as a way for us to be with you. And your love for us has no bounds. We, we have no real comprehension the amount of grace that you've blessed us with. Thank you for being with us. I pray, Father, that you would turn our eyes to you, that all the cares of the world would just fall away, that we would seek first your kingdom and your righteousness, that set our eyes squarely on Christ, who's made a way for us to be with you, and through that, that we would know who you really are, we know what you're really about, so we would know our identity is nothing except for being a child of God and a citizen of the kingdom. May that change everything for us. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.